And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 105 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, November 15th, 2015. We have to open up our show with an acknowledgement, folks. So in the scheme of the world, this show is focused on quite trivial things, actually. That's our careers. We chose marketing purposely because it's a joyous profession. It isn't about life or death or anything like that. And Joe and I come here each week, of course, to be silly, to laugh, to talk about dumb stuff like marketing and advertising and native advertising and social media and content and all that But sometimes we're rudely reminded of just how tenuous and random our existence can be. So we're going to do the show that you came to hear this week with all the silliness and goofy banter you've come to expect. And we believe that's the right thing to do. The only thing we can do, go on, move forward, unafraid. But just know our hearts are in Paris this week. Everyone here at PNR, we are thinking of those who live, love, or just know people in the City of Lights. We are sad, we are angry, and we will go on unafraid of terror. It is how we can honor the lives of those who lost their light. We are, as the saying goes, creatures of a brief season. And when that season is taken from us too soon, our hearts rack with pain. And so we go on. Okay, back to our regularly goofy programming here. So did you watch the Shia LaBeouf, watch Shia LaBeouf thing? If you missed it, the enigmatic actor sat in a movie theater for three days and watched every single one of his films. In reverse chronological order, of course, and it was an amazing piece of content. It went completely viral, and it just goes to show you two things. What content will capture a consumer's attention is completely unpredictable and sometimes just plain weird. The second thing is, of course, watching Shia watch Transformers actually is more compelling than watching Transformers itself. So here at PNR, we thought we'd try the same thing. For the next 4.3 days, we're going to do a Listen to a PNR Art Project, where Joe and I are going to listen to 104 episodes in reverse order and film ourselves doing it. Yeah, we were going to do that. And then, well, you know, the game was on. I got called to a workout. Joe had to rake some leaves. There were some Swiffer pads to get. You know, we're busy. So we came up with a new viral art project, and we're going to do the next few shows as we finger paint simultaneously. And we'll sing... Oh, wait, we already do that. Well, yeah, finger paint by numbers on PNR. And to get this Roy G. Biv show underway, I'll bring in my colleague, my good friend, my co-host, and the eccentric art genius of the content marketing world, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm doing just fine, my friend. How is your day going so far? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You would start with that, wouldn't you? Well, My day the, is the, absolute the, wreck after the Cowboys yeah. have now given up their season officially, formally, completely, transcendentally, energetically, everything uh, with an L-Y attached to it. Yeah, it's a bad day for being a football fan. Well, you know, after I just watched probably this a similar horrible football game that the Browns lost – uh, now they are two and eight, and you know, of course, they've they've been done since they were two and three. So, right. no problem there. But right. I was hoping for you. I was pulling for your Cowboys actually. To yeah, see if I, you know, through, but... holy smokes! When you lose ten to six, you know, and you basically had the game at six to three for all but two minutes of it. It's it's not a it's they are not a good team. They're just not a good team. You know, with or without Romo, they're not a good team. 
Maybe they were all watching uh, Shia LaBeouf uh, do his his thing. It's so funny because you and I were at, uh, obviously, master classes in Boston and New York right. this week. And uh, our uh, product uh, product training development director, whatever his new title is, uh, Wally, was, was, was just infatuated. Well, he was infatuated. He's like, he shows it to me. And, you know, of course, it's Shia watching one of his movies. Probably right. was Transformers. And... He's like, I can't take my eyes off it. And it's just, it's so funny. It really is kind of mesmerizing it, to watch I started to, There's a whole list of GIFs you can go watch of different movies he was watching. It's it's quite genius, actually, in a weird in a weird way of, of him to do this. It's just, it's a fascinating thing, really. Well, it's, it, it's so odd because, because uh, and you know that I was talking about this Kareem Abdul-Jabbar documentary that I got into uh, one of the nights that, I don't know if we were in Boston, I think when I was in New York, and I'm watching this on HBO, and in that documentary, they were talking about how Kareem was just unloved by, no, you know, nobody liked him, nobody, everybody thought he was just uh, standoffish, and nobody wanted to deal with him, and he wasn't a fan favorite, and then he was in the movie Airplane. And there was a whole talk in that about how everybody just changed their thoughts and hit, oh he is funny this right, is it's okay right, and right. and everybody started that. yeah and then then everybody became like more he became, became more likable because he was on airplane by the way he was awesome in he's that so good man but that, <laughs> well, that movie they, is so they, great especially when they pull him out of the seat and, and he's, he's wearing, wearing the Lakers, Lakers uniform yeah, exactly <laughs> <That's> so funny <laughs> but anyways I thought of the same thing watching the Shia thing. It's just like yeah, I think people that's a good will point. like him more yeah. because he's put himself out there in that way, you know, whether or not it's entertaining or not. But obviously, Wally thought it was mesmerizing. It's pretty so. entertaining. All right. Shall we Let's to the news, it. my friend? Yeah, absolutely. Let's get this done. Absolutely. All right. Well, our first story comes to us courtesy of Wired.com. And here we go. YouTube is making noise again. YouTube opens enormous music collection to all. The article starts out by saying streaming music is an incredibly crowded field. There's Apple Music, there's Spotify, there's Pandora, there's RDO, there's Rhapsody, there's Deezer. What the hell Deezer is? What's but anyway, Deezer? I have no idea. What? But Amazon throws in this is music streaming service. <laughs> Can you sign up for Prime? But, you, but they say, you know, who's really killing it with music is a company almost so obvious you wouldn't even know it, and that's YouTube. Um, and interestingly, this is something I want to get your take on because I definitely have a thought on this, it, it, but I hadn't until I read this article. They said, while Taylor Swift readily pulled her music off of platforms like Spotify and Apple Music, uh, basically she's never made the same move on YouTube. And now YouTube is taking this massive corpus of content that it has, mixing in a bunch of neat new features, opening up to everybody as a standalone app with a clear focus on just the music. Today the company launches its first official standalone music app called YouTube Music. As the quote from a YouTube representative says, it's all about high-reward, low-effort experiences, um, which I thought was an interesting word. But so what do you think about this? I, you know, is this going to redefine content and music from, from YouTube, or, or is this just another attempt of YouTube to try and monetize what it's already got? Well, it's super interesting. By the way, a hat tip to my son Joshua who sent this to me. I, I love it now. I'm getting most of my PNR articles from my son Aww, which just makes everything go. much mr easier. joshua oh, yeah. well you know we were talking about the whole taylor swift thing yeah and he's like oh did you read this article and he sends this to me and we start talking about it and here's what was so interesting about this model and they they sort of bury the lead in this but the the big reason why youtube has an advantage in this is because they have all their agreements 
and syndication contracts all sewn up. Right. They've, they've had it for years. So they literally can take any piece of information and put it into an app, a portal, a new product offering. And this is, when I first saw it, I'm like, this makes no sense. And then I read the article and thought about, thought about it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if I'm Spotify or Pandora, I'm just shaking in my boots because they have all the music. They can do it. They And they have the audience already. And what I, what it's really interesting is when they're talking about how they're going to make these custom channels. So as you sign up for this app, uh, this uh, the music app on YouTube, you, they will send you based on your listening habits your own. I mean, which is nothing not new, but they probably have so much more listening and behavioral information about you than anyone else. Oh, if sure. You've been go, if you've been going to YouTube videos at all, and they probably can come up with something pretty spot on. Uh, for for your likes and dislikes, so I think it's super well. They not only have that; they also have what you search for, and they have your Gmail information, and they have your all. They have a they have a number of different data streams that they can start to mine to to determine what's the most appropriate music for you. And by the way, which dun 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 ads they might serve you during the music. Ads they might serve you, but they're also diversifying the idea of the the premium play, so you can get this through yep. through YouTube Red, their paid subscription platform as That's well, right. and have even more amazing experiences with it. So, I mean, I I don't know. Would you download it? Would you? Is this something that you would get into, or I'll I, you know I'll try it for sure. I'll absolutely try it. I'm a you know I'm a look. I signed up for Apple Music, and I got to tell you, I'm a fan. Um, and mostly, I'm a fan because of the integration with Siri. Um, you know, when I can go on my Apple Watch, which I'm a fan of, obviously, and, and I can say and I can be driving and I've got my phone connected into my car um, and I can tell Siri what I want to listen to and it just goes out and finds it and streams it. It's it's a pretty neat little thing. And I'm, you know, and it integrates into my iTunes and, you know, and I'm an Apple guy. So it's so it's, you know, sort of it, it's it's convenient for me. But I, I you know, I'm, I'm a fan. So I, I got into that. I also have a Spotify um, a subscription as well that I use for playing around the house and stuff like that. But, um, I, you know, I, I'll try it cause just cause I yeah. love music, but I, I don't know that it's going to supplant my, my, um, my existing relationship with, uh, Apple music or Spotify. Yeah. Who knows? And you don't have to be online either, because if you, if you're a YouTube red subscriber, you can do the, what they call the offline mixtape, which is super interesting where basically you can download and uh, they will populate based on your listening behavior, a, your own mixtape, if you will. Yeah. So that's the one thing that's interesting. And I will tell thing- you if, if iTunes doesn't fix their existing integration between what is downloaded and what is streamed and when you got to go to the cloud and when you don't have to go to the cloud, which if you just look online, people are just freaking out about this because it is, it is entirely unclear when you migrate over to a new version of the OS and they move your iTunes up to a different, you know, a thing and some of your music goes up to the cloud and some of it doesn't and some of it you have to be online to get and then you have to sign in. I'm constantly when I'm on an airplane having to re-sign into iTunes to listen to music. It's it's I'm quite so, annoying. I'm so with you. Well, when I did the move over from my I think I whatever I had a 5 to the 6 S that I they didn't it didn't bring over any of my songs even though I thought I did it correctly. Yeah. So, of course, now I've got this huge playlist that, and then I just go on, you know, like, of course, good airplane's a good example. I'm on the airplane thinking I can listen to my music, and oh, no. Right. I've got, right. it's not there. It's in the cloud. Right. But I can't get to the cloud because I'm on an airplane. And you think that would, that doesn't make any sense because I'm closer to the cloud. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, oh God, that took me. I, mean, I must be. It must be Kevin. Uh, that was bad. Oh, no, the God. last thing that was, I, was really the, bad. I, that was so bad. It was good. Okay, wait. Here, the 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 last thing I'll say about it is sponsored music. I think with because of this and the, and the other things we're saying with we're seeing with music. I think you are going to see a move into the sponsor type music like you get into Starbucks where they will so hey here's this you know we're going to bring you this exclusive CD or whatever i think that that's a, that's going to be ultimately a play in the, in the right. content space yeah. hey, i don't know what it's going to look like but i know it's coming oh you know it's coming and I, here's the last thing i'll say because marketers out there may be going well, i don't understand how this really applies to me um here's what struck me about this so much for a marketing takeaway which is the thing that you said at the beginning is the real key of this, which is that they had the agreements and they had the infrastructure sewn up and they have for years. They just didn't do it yet, right? And so one of the things, and we, we talk about this actually in the masterclass and we talk about it with clients, which is when you're starting to look at a content marketing strategy and you're looking out across your editorial future and you're saying, okay, here are the things that I want to build toward this owned media property or toward this asset that I'm going to create called an app or in a magazine or a blog or white paper program or whatever, looking at how each one of those assets and treating each one of those assets as something that will ultimately be an asset that you're investing in that will provide value over time is a key piece of this. Even if you decide that you're not going to build the blog yet or if you're not going to build the white paper program yet, when you when you sort of collect those assets in a thematic way, look at them as such, get the rights from the people that you're, you know, getting them from, looking at your speaker agreements when you get speakers at your customer events, all that stuff, those are assets in your company that at some point you may want to collect into some new awesome service. And if you do it the right way and you have that mindset from the beginning, you'll have a collection of assets that you actually can turn into a music service or some differentiating cool thing. That is I cannot tell you how important what you just said is because we've dealt with it a number of times where we wanted early, you know, when we started doing content marketing world, we said, oh, we can take that speech and then throw that into our training program. Right. Uh, no, you can't. Right. You can't unless you have the agreement for that specified use or you have to have the line is that you're able to use that content for literally anything on the planet, which That's is right. basically what we do now. That is so important because you have, if you don't have that, then you have to go back to each one of those people that created that content, even if it was work for hire, that you can then use that for your for your own purposes. Yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah. so important. Yeah. And not only just legal, but also how you're treating it, how you're designing it, how you're storing it, you know, being able to use that content in multiple formats and being able to retrieve it easily and all, you know, basically treating content as a precious asset that you're going to use, not just as some throwaway thing that you're going to do and then throw away and forget about it and, you know, archiving it right, tagging it right, treating it as something that you're going to want to reuse, repackage, and ultimately you know, treating it like a strategic asset is the is the key piece there. Kind of like thinking like a publisher. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I heard you say that a couple times this week at the master classes. Yeah. Well, you know, I learned from and the I, best. And I, learned, I clap. I, learned I started clapping, but I started, I started clapping, clapping, but then nobody else was, was clapping. Was it like the little Indian on the side of the road, a single tear rolled down your eye? <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, exactly it was. <laughs> that was exactly what I thought uh, of. All right. Moving on to our next story. This one comes to us courtesy of AlleyWatch.com. And the headline is, and I knew this was going to set you off because it's about terms. And the headline is, can we kill the term native advertising? The uh, article opens up by saying native advertising was the hot new buzzword of 2014. He's just getting around to that in November of 2015, but all right, we'll give him a break there. Native advertising was the hot new buzzword of 2014, and it appears to be a buzzworthy holdover again this year. Analysts are predicting double-digit growth of native over the next five years, and advertisers, marketers, and publishers believe it will change the face of advertising of ever. I think he should put a past tense on those verbs, but all right. He goes on to actually make an argument, and and he's a he works at you know full disclosure here the author actually works for an ad tech company i guess what he's really arguing for and i wanted to get your take on this from the publisher point of view is i guess he's making a, an argument here to basically just call it advertising um because that's what it is. I was I got a little lost in the argument here um, about what he wants. I know what he doesn't want, but I don't know necessarily what he was actually arguing for. Did you come away with any sort of big meaningful thing here? Well, that that's exactly what I was looking for. Well, from reading the article, he's right. I mean, if you if you look at so basically goes in goes through and says here's what native is. It has to be form and function. So it has to take on the the, the look and feel and and mimic everything else that that is being engaged with on that particular site and goes to, let's just look at, you know, a content recommendation engine. So let's say you're reading an article and you scroll all the way down and then there's, Oh, and you'll also like these in this box, right? That's not, that's often thought of as native advertising. And it's not. And it's not. And this person says it's not. And they're right. Yeah. It's not, but it kind of gets, it's almost seems like everything that has been, oh, it's advertising, but there's, it, it's valuable content or it's entertaining content or it's informational content. That seems to be, people just think of that as native advertising. Right. But, but honestly, if you, I mean, if you want the purest forms of native advertising, that would be like your Facebook, you know, sponsored stories. That would be, you know, your twi- uh, Twitter suggested posts. That would be Google AdWords is the, you know, the most famous one. I mean, it looks and feels just like it, like anything else in a Google result page, except it's at the top of the page and it's in a shaded box or it says ad at the top of it. But other than that, it looks exactly like everything else. That is technically what native advertising is. But I think you have to have some differentiation. I mean, I think really what we talk on this show, what we normally talk about is a sponsored editorial as part of a publisher's site that makes it look and feel and smell just like an article, let's say a la Forbes, like brand voice would be like this. It looks and feels and smells just like a Forbes article, except for the fact that it was paid and you have to really look up at the top and, oh, it says, oh, this is sponsored. This is part of brand voice. This is not the editorial content of the publication. But my take is the same as yours. What do we... It's it's funny. I'm almost kind of... um, I'm in the same boat as this guy, except I think that when we get into, hey, don't use native or use branded content, we just say, no, there's nothing wrong with the term. Just use it for what it is. Like I would say I'd be better off if he just said, look, here's what it is and here's what it isn't. And this whole category that's not native advertising should be called this. Okay. Then you've got something. But I don't know if he's saying that, is he? 
I don't know. Is there, what is, yeah. what's, the, what's the prescription here? Uh, yeah, there is. Well, there isn't one by the best I can tell from this other than the fact that he thinks that native advertising. This would be advertising. It, right. There's it, just advertising, right? And and so, you know, and we've talked about this on this show. And we actually did a, you know, when we, when we issued one of our very first technology reports, we talked about this, the sort of difference between native advertising, which is content embedded into the editorial itself. And then the idea of promoted content, what we called promoted content, which is the idea of the tabula outbrain sort of widgets at the bottom of the page. Yep. Of you, if you like this article, you might like this article. And then we talked about the idea of ads that are just ads, right, that are just looking at, at sort of segmenting themselves off from the page to actually be um, a, a piece of content in and of themselves in the sort of traditional advertisement. But – you know, I've always liked the idea of promoted content as a as as an idea. Of, you know, from uh, you know from the idea of a, of a tabula or an outbrain or some sort of content syndication engine um, that would show related content in the thing. And then native, I've always understood to be sort of embedded into that page as a as a as a piece of editorial, as a sort of singular piece of editorial that can be consumed on its own. You know, just in the context of the publishers. Um, actual design of the uh, of the publication, and so you know, I like both for different reasons. Um, both of which for a similar goal, which is to ultimately steal audience and pull them in, and 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 actually attempt to build affinity and or subscription to the audience that I'm trying to build on my own own media property, which of course is content marketing, and that's you know, so I think that's it. I yeah. think you nailed it. Let's just use that. But from here on out, what is it? Four forty-two Eastern Time, eleven <laughs> fifteen. Oh, it has go. doth been marked. Oh, we'll call the patient dead. Sir Robert <laughs> has stated above the land and down below to the sea that it will be promoted content from here forth. Hence, and there was much Ad- rejoicing. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I like that advertising, native advertising, and promoted content. Yeah. That- that's done. No confusion there. All right. I'm well, you know, we've had it for a year and a half, and nobody took to it. So, all right. Now well, it is. There you go. Promotedcontent.com. <laughs> you should take that. I'm sure it's already been taken. I'm sure it has. All right. Well, let's move on to, to our next story here. And this one comes to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. And Dollar Shave Club. Uh, and there are so many reasons that I love this article, and, and we'll get into it here. But the Dollar Shave Club launches... Men's Interest Editorial Destination. Um, don't know why they just couldn't get it among themselves to say content marketing anywhere in here, but all right. We, yeah, um, I sent them the note on it, too. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal thing. Launches Men's Interest Editorial uh, Destination. The article starts out by saying, Dollar Shave Club, the online grooming retailer, has rolled out a new editorial project called Mel, becoming the next brand to try its hand at creating a media enterprise. Mel will begin a tw- as a twice-a-week newsletter, including One Story We Love, according to a note written by editor in chief josh scholmeyer uh, appended to the first letter a standalone site will launch quote unquote soonish said mr scholmeyer uh, mel is for men who measure themselves by something other than or at the very least in addition to their interest in sports cars barrel aged scotch and designer socks those are <laughs> three th- i just those three things together it's like okay one two uh no all right i'm not you know it's like according to mr 
Schulmeyer's note, the story featured in the first newsletter written by journalist Zach Stone profiles a yoga-loving Oregon police lieutenant. So I don't know what that has to do with barrel-aged scotch and sports cars, but there we go. So they launch Mel. What do you think? <laughs> well, I, I, like, uh, I like the email focus to start with. Yeah, just, for sure. They're starting very simple. It's just get your email newsletter. If you want this value, we'll send it to you. Yeah. So that's probably a really good way to do a pilot program for something like this. It sounds like the next step of this would be to a fully functioning content hub, if you will. Um, a couple things. So I, I, I love it. Of course I do. Outside of the fact that the Wall Street Journal just can't bear to call it content marketing. Please, right. for the love of – can you please just try it? Once. Just try it. Just, Just try a little it. You'll like bit. it. Even they don't even have to be next to each other. Just right. say content and marketing in the same sentence and exactly. we'll count to start with. A um, couple things that I, I'm a little confused by that I, I don't know why they did it is there's no Dollar Shave Club branding anywhere on the Mel. Oh, see, I actually like that. I actually I, dig I, that. I'm, you know what? Ever since when I first started talking about Homemade Simple back in, which is a Procter & Gamble property back sure. in. yeah. 2005, 2006, and it started in 2003. And then I learned about it and started using it as a, as a case study example. It was very, very hard to figure out if that was Procter & Gamble. And I don't want any... I mean, first of all, if you're creating really good, amazing content, you should tell them that it's you. So you get the impact off of the value that you're delivering to them. Okay. S second of all is tra we need to be fully transparent here. I believe that I mean, if you look at any media site on the planet and they have, let's say even when I used to work at Pent Media, Pent Media had 50, 60 brands. At the bottom, at least, it would say that Contracting Business Magazine is a production of Penton Media Inc. It would say where it is. This one does not. This one on this whole email page, you can't even, it, it, could, it could just say Dollar Shave Club on the bottom. That's it doesn't have to be fully integrated. It is definitely its own content brand. But I think somewhere you've got to say, hey, this is us. I would do it much more than this. And I know you, you differ with me a little bit on that. But yeah. I think somewhere you've got to be transparent that it's you. So the reason why we know it's them is because Wall Street Journal did the story on it. That's right. Well, then, and so let me make the counter argument quick. Okay. So here's my, here's my counter to that. To that. One, that one, one, it's not a binary uh, sort of thing, right? In other words... If I set up this email program, one of the reasons that I may not want to do it, because look, Dollar Shave Club has made its business off the back of uh, branded content, right? So we, so yes. the first thing I love about this is the fact that they actually, you know, one of the things that often gets conflated here is, the, is dot with Dollar Shave Club is they show the Dollar Shave Club amazing branded content pieces that are on YouTube that are so funny. And they're just ostensibly very long advertisements and talk to, uh, and, and sort of call that content marketing. And it's not, you know, coming back to our terms discussion, it's, it's branded content, a very well-executed branded content, but nonetheless. What I liked about this for two reasons. One is by removing the brand from the email, they test the concept without the brand's help. And so they, they don't have the benefit of the halo, for whatever reason that is, of the Dollar Shave Club helping it along. It has to live and die and or die by the merits of the content itself. So it's just like they're launching a new startup publication. Now, they can ease the branding into this over time and put the logo in, 
make it apparent who it is, you know, and it's not, it's not like completely invisible, right? If you go through, it says it's from Mel Industries, which of course is Mel Industries is owned by a Dollar Shave Club. And you can figure it out if you really, really wanted to. But I like the idea that they've won given themselves permission to actually try this as a concept itself and see if they can get subscribers and an audience without the help of the halo of the brand existing. Two, I like it because it sets them up to be providing sort of the the, – the, this is – when we were having this discussion with, um, with Jay Acunzo about the Grantland thing and about attracting writers and all that kind of stuff, this is the kind of evolution we need to have, right? So the writers are not necessarily going to not – you know, they're not going to misunderstand that this is actually Dollar Shave Club and they're writing actually something that's ultimately going to be a marketing vehicle for them. But they can now come into this – without feeling like and without showing themselves as sort of writing marketing copy for, you know what I mean? This is that evolutionary step that we're, this is a brand trying to make that evolutionary step and experimenting with an idea that says, you know what? We do think we have something interesting to say here and we are going to bring in top-notch journalists and writers and, and content producers to make this thing sing and then, of course, we'll let you – now, they didn't say that. I'm putting words in their mouth now. But, of course, then we'll let you know that it's Dollar Shave Club doing this. And I think it's – this is an interesting foray into something that, that may be that evolutionary step that we were talking about two weeks ago that they, we couldn't imagine Nike are doing with Grantland because all the writers would flee you know, because it's Nike. So I, I like the strategy. I'm totally with you, I t- especially on the test run. But I've been to way too many conferences where there's way too many uh, brand side people that are talking about that, that you, we've got to be transparent in our marketing. It's, if you look simply at – they mention mattress startup Casper in this article that they launched their sleep site. We've covered it on, the, right. on this show yep. called Van Winkles. At, at minimum, you go to Van Winkles, it says published by Casper. That's all they got to do. That's all they got to do. But it's very you gotta you gotta at least click one time off of some terms and conditions site to figure out this is Dollar Shave Club. I'm, it's gonna save them a lot of heartache later because they oh they're trying to hide stuff they're trying to brainwash us there, there's a there's a hidden initiative here. Well, you will get I, you know, all those. Hard, you'll get that if you don't do if it. If this was hard news or if this was anything other than sort of lifestyle content about yoga loving police lieutenants from Oregon, I might. What that's hard news. I might buy that, but I don't. You know, look, I. I could be proven wrong here. I, I could be proven wrong. I, I, here's I like the bravery of this. I, I have to say I really like the the sort of you know. And look, this is they these guys are not short on guts, right? Of doing like weird yeah. controversial stuff. So I, the fact that they're actually trying this without the brand, and, and I know the conventional wisdom is to have transparency here, full transparency. You got to have crystal glass where you can see through the whole thing. Because otherwise, people are going to be mad at you. I get it, and I get that it's a risk, but I I like the benefits that this provides better um, than I like sort of mitigating the risk by sticking a you know by initially sticking a big Dollar Shave Club thing on it and having people go oh this is just going to be a subscription of commercials that I you know that I can watch yeah I, you know I, and maybe I'm wrong I I fully cop to the idea that I could be wrong here but I'm not. <laughs> you uh, i have to you know what i almost always give in to, I, 
I'm not giving in this time. Okay. I think you're ab- I think they're absolutely wrong. They're missing out on the halo be- on the benefits of a brand doing this because I know they should, are. I know they're missing out on the brand. I know, but they're missing that out. And second thing is somebody's going to think they're trying to deceive them. Yes. And some troll what? some troll is going to think that they're trying to deceive them. And I No, it's going to be more than that, but man. maybe maybe but of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just shaking my yeah. head. I, re- I have to remember that shaking your head doesn't work. <laughs> SMH. 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 <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, That's we'll see. We'll see. We'll one. see how it all plays out. This will be an interesting. This will be an interesting test. I. I very well could be wrong here. So we'll. We'll see if this actually plays out. Okay. All right. We'll see. Okay. I think all they're right. making a mistake. You know, I think it'll. I go. think it'll play out the same way that uh, Disney's going to buy. Uh, <sighs> Apple's going to buy Disney, but you know, I've, I've, I've been wrong on that before too. That's happening. <laughs> we have our content marketing predictions coming out in a couple of weeks, and I put that Did in. Did you there. really? I said, not ne- probably not next year, but in the next couple oh, of years. Oh, see, now he's already happening. pushing the rock down the hill, folks. All right. So you now well, Google's got to buy Twitter soon, in short and now order. it's like you're within running, a couple of years. And you're running out of time for your prediction on Google buying. Twitter, I know. I'm man. running out. Of, I, I stood by my prediction that it was going to happen by the end of the year, and I'm most likely going to be wrong on that, but. We'll see. You got like 45 days. <laughs> Speaking of predictions, I predict we have an amazing sponsor to talk about. Oh, we do. We do indeed. This Thank you to Marketo for being our This Old Marketing sponsor this week. And we have an, an amazing, of course we of have course. an amazing piece of content, content that is just really, piece of really content. good. This is Unsolved mysteries, but with the unscratched out. You, you got to visualize this. Just think of unsolved, but the un is scratched out. Oh, Scott Stratton Tracking. should. Yeah, I was going to say yep. Scott Stratton should be should be. There you go. There yeah, you go. it's unselling. Yeah. Unsolved mysteries. Tracking your content marketing ROI, courtesy of Marketo. Don't let content ROI scare you. Justifying spend on content can be hard to prove. But as marketers, we are we all know how important keeping fresh content ready and updated is for demand generation. Check out Marketo's newest ebook to learn their tried and true process for tracking your content's ROI and justifying spend. If you download this ebook right now, you will get these three things. <laughs> define, define the key metrics that you should track. Design your programs to be measurable. Very a very good thing. Sync your content with your organization's goals. Oh, I just love the fact that they actually set goals, yeah. business goals. Right? Good, good thing. So you can go ahead and download this at bit.ly slash marketo dash solved dash mysteries. That's bit.ly slash marketo slash solved slash mysteries to get it. this wonderful solved mysteries challenges. And uh, thanks again to our great supporter at Marketo for, for making this happen. Bake is uncovering the, the, the mysteries here and, and sort of showing those step-by-step sort of solving of those sort of challenges. It's just such a great – it's a great thing because that's what, you know, people are looking – marketers are looking for that right now. It's a, it's a very confusing time. And, uh, I mean, we'll certainly talk about that in just a couple of minutes. But it's a, it, it's a really good piece. I'm just – I'm happy to, happy to have it. Well, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but Marketo's been the sponsor for the entire month, and they've we've had a different promotion each 
There you go. Week. I'd love it. I mean, they, they put you, a lot into their their ebooks and white papers. You talk really about do. somebody who understands the building of a theme here and assets and how they, you know. And I've talked about before how I like their their resource center is one of the better resource centers because you know exactly where to go if you're a beginner and intermediate or sophisticated at uh, at demand generation and marketing automation. It's just a it's a it's a their their resource center is one of the better ones out there. And their secondary color, their main color is purple. Their secondary color is orange. Yes, well, there you go. So they get they get points for that. <laughs> there you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the part of the show that you love so much. It's our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel, oh, you know, like Shia watching Transformers or like Shia watching, uh, what's that other one that he was in that was just really awful? Well, pretty much all of them. All right. Oh, it's so bad, man. <laughs> I'm sure he's not a listener. He's not going to care. Um, I guess I'm going first. Or no, you're going first because you I'm have this old first. marketing this week. I do. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, this one, uh, shout out to uh, Mr. James Gardner for putting this forward. And this was um, this came out a couple weeks ago, but it's definitely worth talking about. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But I... I am fascinated by this virtual reality thing. So there's a couple stories here that James sent me. One is uh, in the New York Times Magazine, Virtual Reality, A New Way to Tell Stories. And it basically talks about what the New York Times is doing with what they're calling VR, virtual reality. And uh, if you go to – there's a couple things that you have to do to get this immersive digital visual experience. But I I don't know what – I don't know what you would call it. Robert, but it's almost like an IMAX movie on your smartphone. Yeah, it's that, cool. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. kind of how it seems. Yeah. So, and I downloaded it, and they've got a couple. I, I saw this uh, pr- presentation they did called the Displaced, and then there's also some other branded ones. I'll talk about in a second. But basically, you download it with this uh, NY and uh, New York Times VR player, and you can download it on your iPhone or it's got Android as well. And then they what they want you to do is download it, and then actually there's a three dollar thing that you can buy off of ebay that you can get the the thing that you could put on the glasses and you put your smartphone in there so that you can really see this imax which i think is so weird but kind of cool the same way where you could get you get this little it's it's almost like it should be on the back of a cereal box or something like that i should (laughs) cut it out and then put my smartphone in it but they're very clear like you have to put your earbuds in you have to have this immersive experience and as i'm watching the displays the the movie that they're presenting and you you turn it into different directions you literally have almost a 360 view of what's going on it's it's simply fascinating and that kind of the relevance and it's definitely early days I mean, 11, according to the stats that New York Times talks about, just 11% are actually using you know, some kind of VR or like an Oculus Rift before, and most of it's been done in gaming. But they, they say basically 30 35% want to get involved in this. So it's really early days, but interesting that you know, Contently's um, content strategist publication also talked about this, and James sent this over, where you have General Electric that's buying uh, – you know, working with the New York Times on this and their content studio, and uh, v, uh, was it VW? Yeah. Uh, no, the Mini. Yeah. The Mini did one, did a whole program as well. So you're seeing a lot of brands test this area. So I don't think anything for us to do at this point, but I think as a content marketer, it's important for us to check this technology out, to look at it, to see how stories are being told on this platform. 
And I don't know what the future is. I don't know if you know if you had have a take on this, Rob. I mean, you come from the from the Hollywood uh, standpoint. I, I I would imagine we're four or five years away from from really hardcore usage of this thing. But you're already seeing brands that are looking for the next big thing, and they want to tell these immersive stories. And it's an interesting way to do this, and especially from a journalistic standpoint, where you can tell a story. But and if you can just visualize this, and just just think of the best movie that you could possibly see, and you're looking around, you can see all around the movie, and at the same time, you'll see text on the screen and different headlines that will point at things, and it's really an interesting experience. So you know, it's sort of a, just a rave for the New York Times trying this thing and some of these. Uh, brands given a shot at telling stories a little bit differently. And, you know, we'll see where we go with it. I think, you know, the funny thing about this is this is a 2040, this old marketing in the making. You know what I mean? We've talked about a couple of, uh, you know, a, a couple of our this old marketing examples have been from, you know, the 1920s and the, you know, 1930s when we were talking about, for example, the radio um, and giving away um, the idea of, you know, creating programming for radio to drive the sales of hard, you know, hardware, right? Or mm-hmm. the the idea that we talked about last week, which was the you know really creating content that drove the sales of computers and 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 those sorts of things. This is this is that in the making as more brands and you know sort of there are some of the early adopters here, GE being one of them certainly. Um, and this is going to fall to Facebook. It's going to fall to Microsoft, that are two of the sort of leading proponents of this technology to create immersive content that drives the demand for these things. Because otherwise, it's going to go the way of Google Glass, right? I mean, you know, so. If this is if this is really going to happen, then I think you're absolutely right that 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 the immersive content experience is going to have to come from those that are willing to experiment and really create these immersive experiences. And I think brands will be I think brands like GE will be right up there trying this stuff out. Well, and I like the New York Times financial model for this because yeah. obviously oh, it's, it's going to a brand yeah. and say, "Would you underwrite this? Let's give it a shot." I mean, I think that's the best way to do it, and they're leveraging well, sure, the brand's I mean, it, technology and anybody and who's trying it. to position themselves as innovative is going to be is going to win in that kind of situation, right? Absolutely, yeah, you got it. All right. Well, I have. Well, interestingly, on that note, this is a nice actually segue into into my rant um, that I have this week, um, and a big hat tip here to Chuck Fry, who is our online operations guy for our online training platform. So big hat tip to Chuck for sending this to me. Um, this comes from, so we've, we've picked on Harvard Business Review a couple of weeks in a row here. And this, I'm going to pick a little bit on Wharton. Um, and this is another, you know, I read their knowledge um, magazine as well. And, and um, so this comes to us, uh, the article that I'm going to reference here comes knowledge.wharton.upenn. And it's, it's, um, it's this article where the author, and you're going to love this, he uses the the context of John Lennon's Imagine, so imagine there is no all that, to structure an argument that marketing is dead. He says the marketing is dead and social media really is the future. Uh, he opens up the article by saying the redistribution of power from brands to individuals is going to be the enduring legacy of social media. The recent rise of ad blocking represents a tectonic shift in the balance of power between marketers and consumers. And technology represents more than just a functional way to block digital ads. It represents the very end of marketing as we know it. <laughs> okay. Wow. Now you've got my attention, right? <laughs> and so he goes on to basically say that 
so you know that that uh, you know the marketing is culture and culture is marketing and he it's a it's a very long article by the way so you know get yourself a cup of coffee here but basically he gets to this point where he says we can read marketing's epitaph which is killed by consumption eaten by cannibals marketing is slowly being ingested and eliminated by the very consumers it targets every day lovely imagery he paints there um, and so he ba- his basic point is to say that social media represents not only the aggregation of people, but of likes and interests and ideas, and that marketing is basically dead. And, and then he starts out by saying, imagine there's no marketing if it's easy, if you try, if you sort of sing the song there. And so his whole point is that social media and consumers and the aggregation of those consumers around these social media networks are really going to be what drives business in the future. And that I guess marketing, he doesn't really actually ever say this, but he says to the extent, and he basically, he all the way, he equates marketing and advertising together. So in his world here, marketing and advertising are synonymous. And so here's my argument back and my sort of rant on this, because this is something that I've, 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 I've seen, you know, subtextually in a lot of different articles that sort of come out in this vein, which basically say marketing or advertising is dead and sort of pronounce it dead. And I'm an admitted, unapologetic fanboy of marketing and the process and the strategy of marketing. So it gets my ankles up a little bit. And so this is no different, this idea of social media to me, than broadcast television or any publishing platform. So people, of course, are going to aggregate around content and experiences. They've, we've done it for since the caveman gathering around the fire. We do. We gather around content and experiences and share them with one another. And social media is no different from that. You know, so it's no different from a publishing platform where people and audience aggregates. Yes, you can argue that the co-creation now of content sort of enables the existence of something like a Facebook or a Twitter or a LinkedIn where the content itself is coming from the audience itself in addition to those things. And But the, first of all, the ad- idea of advertising marketing is not simply sticking coupons in front of an audience. That's a false choice that I think this author presents in the definition of marketing. Um, and But if that's his definition, fine. But And that is probably a dying process. But marketing is moving well beyond that. So to say that marketing is dead and social media is the answer is kind of like saying TV is dead and customer-generated vines are the future of media. And it's like, that's not true. It's like, like it or not, advertising and marketing and business businesses fund, just like we just heard about, they fund the production of interesting, innovative content and media experiences that people want to consume. If your channel was filled with nothing but people, you know, kicking themselves in the you know what and and jumping off of skateboards and cute cat videos on Vine, you wouldn't be satisfied with that. We we appreciate funded, well-powerful drama that can get created. That is beyond social media and is beyond just letting consumers do what they want to do. You know, we are not going to suddenly agree every company on the planet to some John Lennon, imagine, you know, imagine there's no marketing and let's let consumers share the value of products and services that they find so valuable and let that sort of be the way companies succeed. That's just not going to happen. Smart companies are going to continue to strategically put content, messages, advertising, whatever they can in front of consumers to shorten the time that products come to market and the time that a consumer gets their hands on it. Social media will be but one very small part of that effort. And just a shifting one, by the way, at that, because you know, here's the thing that the author doesn't also acknowledge, is that as quickly as these social communities gather online, they disappear 
right? I mean, how is that Orcut, MySpace, Delicious, Google Wave, Friendster, Foursquare, LiveJournal, Stick'em, Last.fm, Google Plus strategy coming along for everybody? This is social media is not the death of marketing, and it is not the death of marketing even full stop. It's the rebirth of marketing. It is an evolution of marketing. And guess what? Marketing is always evolving. It's about being alive. It's about being committing to creating experiences and value for consumers, creating the world together with other people. So I would actually quote another John Lennon song about marketing and say, instant karma is going to get you. Right. Who in the hell do you think you are? A superstar? Well, right you are. There you go. That's my rant. Do you you think that the author actually believes when they say that it is dead? I don't know. It's hard for me to tell. Or just something to to, to get people like you upset about it. Well, you know, here's the thing. The author is uh, somebody who comes from a, a social media agency. So there's that. Um, and then he's also um, a one of those, as he says the, in his the bio here, um, a not-for-profit social media agency for social good, right? So there's all kinds of, you know, there's all kinds of implied attitude within that. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if he believes it or not. I'm going to assume he does. I'm going to assume that he does believe that marketing is really dead and that social media is the only thing that can save our uh, planet from – I don't know from what. But well, that that's part. one of my favorite things is going through uh, Google and, and searching for all the different ways that social media and advertising and marketing are dead because there's been hundreds of articles written on it from all kinds of different people. Right. So whatever I want to do, like I want to do that presentation for content marketing world and talk about all the ways content marketing is dead. Right. Because there's been, there's been a hundred articles on content marketing is dead. I'm like, Oh good. That's news to me. Yeah. There you go. I better go get another gig. We got to go get a different <laughs> podcast. We got to do something different. All right. I have, uh, I have this whole marketing this week. Yes, correct? you do. It is me. And this one, I can't believe we've never talked about this one. This is Fold Factory, and this comes courtesy of our really good friend, uh, Andrew Davis, author of Brandscaping, but also a very, very amazing book that he just, he's on tour right now with it called Town Inc. And if you are uh, an entrepreneur trying to get a city back in uh, in shape or you're a part of some economic development group, you definitely want to pick up that book. Great book. So here's Fold Factory. Trish Witkowski, CEO of Fold Factory, she is like, one of the biggest celebrities now in the direct mailing industry through her regular video show that she's been doing for. And I just had to check this, Robert. She is now on episode number 317. Wow. So she's been, this is on YouTube and she's been doing this for the last four years now. She could do the math and, uh, or maybe five. Is that four or five? Maybe I can't do the math. Almost five years. And so she's doing the 60 second super cool fold of the week where she details Amazing examples of print direct mail. And according to Drew, she basically Drew says her 250 plus videos, now 300 videos, have yielded more than a million views and more than 3,500 subscribers. So Oof. this is B2B, by the way. Right. This is not B2C. This, she's basically, she creates print direct mail templates and her company, Fold Factory, does for other uh, brands uh, like brands like HP and then other direct mail agencies. So uh, she's become a spokesperson in a lot of ways for these brands. So now she's touring on behalf of those brands as a speaker because she's become so well known for the super cool fold of the week. She conducts workshops all around the world around it. And then you're probably asking, well, what kind of money does it bring in? Well, they know for sure that Trish's uh, full, um, 
60, se- 60 Second Super Cool Fold of the Week has been at least responsible for over 500000 in new revenue. It's just a small business. That's significant money. Yes, it is. So a half a million dollars in revenue specifically from that. Now, here's the thing that you know Doug Kessler calls revenue ripples that I like to th- talk about all the time. I love this she- idea, by the way. You, you introduced me to this idea, or Doug introduced us to this idea, I guess. But I love this idea. Well, the, the whole – so if you go – basically – she wears a Trish wears a different T-shirt every episode, and like as she started getting more and more popular, uh, it's it's basically a line about direct mail, and it's always kind of funny, and it's always done in the like uh, vote for Pedro type of style okay. of yeah, a T-shirt, right, sure. yeah. And people started to email her and reach out to her on social media and and then put in the comments, you know, can I get that shirt? So now they actually generate a good amount of revenue from selling the shirts from each episode. <laughs> That's Isn't that funny. something? That's awesome. And then the other the other thing is is that um, if you go to the Fold Factory site, uh, they have a whole program now called the Fold Club Rules. So it's basically a premier club. It's a membership where you can get all these templates and you can get the super cool Fold of the Week email and the whole package deal. So they're trying to obviously it's on YouTube is the super cool fold of the week, but they're trying to drive email subscription, very smart move. And they're doing it by this membership package. And then they have actual, I mean, this is a media company inside a direct mail company because they have sponsors for all these different things, including companies like HP and, uh, Ryder Dickerson and uh, other different, um, paper companies. It's just really amazing that, They've gone out and they're this basically they create these templates and now they've got this little media engine on the side and they both live and work off each other. And it's just it's just a fantastic example. So if you get a chance, go to Fold Factory on the YouTube page. We'll put it in the show notes. But just I love this because when you get small businesses, especially B2B small businesses coming to us saying, oh, this you know, we can't do that. We don't have a big budget or whatever. Right. And then yeah, exactly. you just look at something like this and you're like. This is what we're talking about. They picked the channel. They were consistent. They, over time, they're now building email subscribers. They they're looking at build diversifying and building all kinds of new revenue channels off of this and multiple just, lines of value. Multiple lines of value. You talk about it all the time. Yeah. How do we how do we get some merchandise going for this show? We got to have some. We got to have some t-shirts and coffee mugs, man. I, I, I like Why don't? That. Yeah. Okay. Here's the deal. Will somebody tweet us at. Um, use the hashtag this old marketing and basically tell us what you would buy because <laughs> let's just do it this way. What do you want? What kind right. of, uh, what kind of tchotchke would you like from this show? And if you don't want anything, just don't, just don't tweet at all. Right. Like, exactly. <laughs> we no don't need wait. to tweet us to tell us that we don't, shouldn't do anything. Exactly. Like they're, they're probably <laughs> thinking like, why would I buy anything <laughs> <Right>. from this <laughs> old marketing? But if you Stupid would, idiots. you know, we did the one time we gave it away for free was the, the pumpkin carving. Right, like you can yeah, get yeah. our faces right. on a pumpkin, and yeah. I don't think anybody used it. I don't think anybody did either. But yeah. the, but maybe a t-shirt, cool t-shirt, with something. T-shirt, I don't know. yeah, good. To, could do a t-shirt for every episode. It'd be funny. We might sell three t-shirts. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> we might. Right. Over two and a half years, we've sold 105 t-shirts. Exactly. Hey. <laughs> 104 more than expectations. Um, so anyways, you and I are back on the road. We, we are, got, indeed. Uh, starting, same, I leave in about uh, two and a half hours Two and a half now. hours. I'm first thing in the morning. I'll meet you out in San Diego. We have yeah. a San Diego master class. 
on Tuesday and San Francisco Masterclass on Thursday. Thursday. Still time to sign up. And we've got, and then after the Thanksgiving break, we've got uh, Austin and And Washington, D.C. So if you're in the area, we'd love to see you. Go to contentmarketingconf.com and get all the information. We'd love to see you there. Absolutely, we would. All right, that is it, ladies and gentlemen. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We're signing off. Do take a moment and uh, and send a little energy and a little love to Paris. Um, you know, and you tweet us up if you wanna if you wanna hear us do something with merch. Hashtag this old marketing. Send us a T-shirt. Let us know what you want. Um, and also show we love those show ideas, folks. Just give those show ideas over. We absolutely adore them. Thank you so much for the examples of uh, this old marketing and also the shows. And of course, you can use the hashtag for that or send us an email. This old marketing at contentinstitute.com if you love that email thing. And if you like this episode number 105, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links we talked about will be available on This Old Marketing uh, show in the show notes itself and, of course, at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturday. All right, remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.